Well, you're going to hear more from the Good Rain team in the next couple of weeks, but I thought I'd just share a few just postcards of images that still stick in my mind as a result of my experience there. And of course, this is my fourth year in a row of going over to Rwanda to participate in, in these kinds of experiences. And as always, it was a eye-opening and encouraging and a challenging, in some ways, a draining experience all at once. Some of it, uh, you know, one of the postcards that will just kind of stick in my mind, you know, um, on Wednesday as we were checking into the St. Francis of Assisi Retreat Center and all the pastors' wives had made it out of the rural areas and, you know, you did to hear the reports of them saying that, you know, well, they could die and go to heaven now because they had seen Kigali. They, they had never been out of the rural areas. Twenty-two of the women had never been to the capital before. Now, when you step off the plane on the tarmac in Kigali, it takes you all of about 15 seconds to know you're in a third world city because of the smell of burning charcoal and all that kind of stuff. And, and for them, I mean, they, they thought they could die and go to heaven because they had finally seen the capital of, of Rwanda. And... Um, and the pastors were just so excited to show me the rooms that they were staying in. And, you know, you, you know they had, most of them had bath on the halls. And, and you go in, it's just a concrete floor. But there were two real live beds. Well, I mean, the type we would get like at camp, you know, just made out of uh, two-by-fours and et cetera with a mattress on it. But this was probably better than anything that they had really ever slept in before. And they were just so excited, you know, to, to show all this stuff. And it, it was really quite a... Quite a reminder uh, that we can get uh, so, we can grow so callous to the great things that we have in our lives. You know, the second image that really just stands out in my mind is, um, and I think they're going to show a, a slide here. Remember last year we were able through good rain to purchase a tent. And a uh, large tent, seat about 250 to 300. It's where we taught for the entire two weeks that we were there, except for the retreat portion. Well, the last night that we were there on Saturday night, uh, an unusually strong storm blew through. And in this area of the city, Kimisagara, uh, there was a microburst. And it took down the tent as well as five houses that were right around it. Six people died uh, in the storm. Uh, one family got caught up in it in their car, and they were swept down the river in their car, and they still hadn't been found. And if you're in Rwanda, you, you know, it's just, it's just nothing but hills. And so... Controlling runoff is such a huge issue, and on the side of the roads, often they just have wide open trenches that they've stoned in to kind of handle and funnel the water, and two children were swept away in the storm as the water, uh, literally the rivers and, and the flows grew that fast, and so there were six people who died. And So this is Theofield, the, the guy that we work for, standing in the middle of it and, and just kind of wondering what's next, if you will, for this, for this church, and I haven't had a chance to speak to them again yet to see if they've been able to get it back up, but I know there wasn't any damage to it. And this, this tent leads to my other memory that I have. We, we worshipped here. This is the Herman Church in Kimisagara. And we got there on, on Sunday morning, and they're big on choirs in Rwanda, so they, and the choirs all sit together. And so they had a children's choir, they had like an adult choir, and then they had this special adult choir. And this was the choir that was made up of former prostitutes. And it's interesting, you know, we, we think of prostitution as being related to drug use and abuse and all those kinds of things. These were, these were women who, who literally they and their families were starving. And so when a man would offer them food, as they would say in their own language, we just spread our legs for the food. 
And yet now, through the microloan program we've been able to do, these women are, are able now to, to make enough money to support their families and to feed them. And they're, they're out of that life, and, they're, and now they're worshiping in the house of God and leading in worship. And, uh, and they're, able to, they're, just, they're very comfortable just being able to say, God has lifted our shame. And it's, it's a powerful testimony of God's grace and the way it works. And then lastly, just, uh, you know, is, uh, last year I didn't get to, but this is the three out of the four years that we've gotten out to the Akagera Game Park, which is uh, uh, a large area in the northeast corner of the, of the country. And this year we saw a herd of wild elephants, 19 elephants. And you're just looking at these animals and you're saying, God sure is creative, isn't he? Because they're massive. I mean, they got these little babies with them, and they just literally just grab the trees and pull them over so the, so the babies can eat. And, it's, and so the park is just lined with, with trees that are all busted down. But they're ugly. You know, elephants are ugly, you know. And, and you think, boy, God just really is creative, you know. It's just an amazing thing. And, and anyways, we saw hippos, and they're even uglier, you know. And so the whole list goes on. And, and uh, we didn't get to see giraffes this year. They, they told us that when the elephants are in the region, the giraffes don't come out during the day because they're afraid of the elephants. And so we didn't get to see any giraffes, but they're, they're pretty imp- incredible el- animals when you see them. So just some neat time. You'll hear a little bit more next week uh, from some of our team. And then I think the McDaniels are going to be gone next week, so they'll be sharing the week after just a little bit. And it's about their experience. It was their first time in Rwanda along with Patty, Peggy uh, Scudieri. So it's always interesting to see how the, the experience flows out for them. Hey, let's just pause for a moment to pray. And in particular, we'll pray uh, for this church, the Herman Church, that is struggling to get their house of worship, if you will, back up. God, thanks for the chance to be here today. And uh, there's a lot of things that are on our, our minds and our hearts. God, thank you that you have taken even such, just such a, a small church like Hope Chapel, and you've given us an opportunity in, to be involved with what you're doing around the world. And, uh, you know, Father, uh, part of my takeaway from the experience in Rwanda this year is that no matter how hard I work, no matter how, hard, how many people we... We, we, we can't change a nation, but you can. And that's what we pray for. God, that, uh, that there would be a transference of truth uh, to these pastors, from them to their families and their churches. And God, that you would rise up and change a nation. We pray for this Herman Church in Kimisagara, for their pastor arrest. God, I know that this is still a difficult time for them. and They were just getting momentum back, and now they're even with just two or three weeks maybe of not being underneath the, the tent and unable to worship, it, it'll be quite a blow. So, God, we ask for your grace and provide the resources and provide the, 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 the time frame to be able to get the tent back up quickly so they can get back to doing the things that are most important to you and to them, which is worshiping you and serving in your name. God, now as in our moments as we're in your word, just teach us some things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that while I was gone, you guys were hard at work here. Working on is what Rick Warren would call call your master's degree in love. Learning how to become great lovers in the biblical sense. And, you know, um, one of the thoughts that strikes us is that if we're really going to be people who, who really are great biblical lovers... Part of the challenge is is that we have to take what we've learned about love and what we're learning about love, we have to take it out of the spiritual classroom where we are right now 
and we've got to translate it into real life. Right? I mean, and, and that's where the challenge lies. Because in case you haven't noticed, not everybody outside of the four walls of this building, and maybe not even everybody inside of the four walls of these buildings, is all that easy to love. You ever, you ever notice that? I mean, some people, it's really easy to love, right? They're just nice, they're pleasant, they're happy, they're joyful, all those kinds of, and, and they're just a joy to be around. It's easy to love them. But you know what? The, the world's got a lot of people out there that are just flat out hard to love. They're just not very lovable. You know, and in order for God's love to be on display through us and in us to the world, you and I have to be able to move beyond this place and to love those who really aren't all that lovable. You know, in your life, there's probably three types of people. This is the way I look at it. There, there are those that I would call the givers. These are the people who add quality to our lives. And we pray that we have many people like this in our lives. These are people who are healthy, they're caring, they're balanced, they're supportive, they're encouraging. And these are the people who come into our lives and, and they truly help us along and help lift us up and they keep us strong. And, and we pray that our families are those places. We pray that our church family is that place. We, we pray that we have small groups, life groups that are like that. We pray for all that. But we have those people in our lives who are the givers. But then we have those people who are the takers, right? These are the people that just being around them, they're just sucking the life out of you, you know? I mean, these are the vacuum cleaner people of life, you know? They're just, they're just sucking from you all the time, you know? And, and, and we all have those people in our lives, right? Some of them, you guys have them for a boss, right? This is the person you work for. This is the person who just is in many ways just destructive. You are an obstacle that's in their way, and they are going to run you over, and they're just sucking the life out of you 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. You know, it's just the way they are. Or some of them, they're deceitful. Some of them are, are you know, you're kind of like, you know, you're below them, so they can just use you kind of as their punching bag, and they can take out their bad day on you kind of thing. And, and and we have those kinds of people in our lives. These are the people who are sucking the life right out of us. You know? And there's also people who are disappointing. These are the people that just seem to regularly let you down. You have to lean on them. You are leaning on them. And somehow or another, through their own self-destructive behavior or whatever, they're just letting you down. And they're just, they're just sucking the life out of you. These are the takers. And then we have people in our lives that I call them the molars. Now, not like a mole that ruins my yard, but like the, mole, the molars you got in your mouth, you know? These are the people who just grind on you all the time, you know? They just grind on you, you know? They're around you. They're just difficult people. You know, they're just not happy. They're always angry. They seem to be negative. They're always depressed. They're bitter. They're touchy. And, and, it's, and you're just walking on eggshells around, and they're just grinding you down on a regular basis. You know, and, and you know, it's kind of like the, I was on the plane coming back. I, you know, going over, I had so much work to do. I didn't get to watch any movies. But on the way back, I watched Trouble with the Curve, you know, which is a Clint Eastwood movie. You know, his figure in that movie, he's a grinder. You know, he's just grumpy. He's losing his vision and et cetera. And, he, and he's just 
upset, you know? And he's just and he tells his daughter, You just need to get as far away from me as you can. It's just something just it just grinds on you day in and day out. Other people they're just they're just demanding. You know, it's interesting that the 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 character that came to mind is in the show Everybody Loves Raymond. You know, his mother, Marie, she's one of those people who just grinds you down because he's demanding. Oh, you know, the food's never good enough. The house is never clean enough. You're not, you know, it's just always over and over. We have all these kinds of people in our lives. And yet God would step in and say, you need to love them the way I love them. We don't get to, God, it doesn't say in John 3.16, for God so loved the nice people of the world. That he gave his only begotten son. It says, God, for God so loved the world. The givers, the takers, and the grinders, the molers. He, he, he loves all of them. And then he says, as, I have, as I've been sent, so send I you. And, that, and they're, they're our mission field. We've got to translate this kingdom love to these people in our lives. It's not so hard with the, the givers, but for the takers and for the molers, it's like, let them go to the church down the street. You know, you know, that's kind of our attitude, right? And how do we do this? How is it that you and I can take all the things that we're learning about love and then actually be able to execute it, to be those people in the real world? With the boss who's just constantly a jerk, the neighbor who is, who's always just throwing you know, their leaves over the fence into your yard. You know, how do we deal with this stuff? And our passage today gives us an insight on how love equips us to be people who can express kingdom love to the givers, to the takers, and to the molers who are a part of our lives. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 with me. Our focal verse today is just first five. If, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, and you'll find them right underneath the seats in front of you. We're on page 977. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's page 977. This is one of the, the most well-known passages in the Bible because it speaks to love, and it truly is poetic. And so it's been picked up and used in many different ways, even outside of the faith community as an example and a testimony to love. I want to read down through um, the passage, but I, but I, and then we'll come back and focus just on verse 5, because I think we need to see it in context. And I know you've been working through this each and every week, but it says, for, beginning with verse 1, if I speak the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Zilch. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor and if I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. You see, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. Love does not act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. 
Love doesn't find any love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's stop there in our reading today. Now, I wanted to read these because we we need to set this in context of what we're going to look at today. We're talking about trying to take kingdom love and go out and minister to the real world with it. To be people, the people that God's called us to be, to be people of love in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our workplaces, and just in the world in general. God's calling us to be those people, but if we do not learn how to love the unlovable people in our lives, it doesn't matter what great things we do for God, none of it's going to really matter. You could give your body in sacrifice, and you gain nothing. You could predict the greatest spiritual things. It means nothing. You could have the most elegant words, and it's just going to be a bunch of noise. Because it matters not just what we do, but it matters how we do it and why we do it. It's a big package, package together. It's not that we can just go out and do good things in the name of Christ, but have the worst hearts. And do it for our own reasons, for our own pride. It has to be the right thing for the right reasons done in the right way. It all has to fit together. It has to be done in the context or the umbrella of love. And in our passage today, it gives us some hints about how love equips us to manage, to be the kind of people who can love those who are unlovable. So, how do we do this? Let's take a look at this, just verse 5. It says, love does not act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Now, I want you to keep in the background the takers, the vacuum cleaners in your life who are just sucking the life out of you, and the molars, the people who are just that little drip that's just wearing you down every single day. How in the world do you and I get to be a people who can love them? The way Christ loves the church. The way God loves us in Jesus Christ. First of all, it tells us that when the love of Christ is shed abroad into our lives, you and I can be a people who are not, what's the word here? It says it doesn't act improperly. Some of your translations have the word does not act in an unseemly manner. Some of your translations use the word rude. Love isn't rude. It's probably getting at the right idea. That for us, in terms of our language, when, when God's love is filled up within us, we are people who treat others with dignity. We're polite. We don't act improperly. We don't act unseemly. We're not rude. We're nice. We're just nice. Be, so what part of what God's love does within us, it allows us to be nice when everybody else is being rude. <laughs> you know? Again, it comes back to the fact that for us, we have to keep in mind, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it and why we're doing it and all those kinds of things. Now, you know, all of us could go back and replay tapes of moments when we've just, we've just had, not, not been at our best with people. 
I think I remember sharing with the church a, a couple of years ago that there was a time, I don't know, this was probably five, six, seven years ago, um, shortly after we moved into the building, I think it was the first summer after we moved into the building, you know, I had gone up to Target in Lemonster. It just opened, and I forget what I needed, but I traveled up there, and I had gone on my motorcycle. And they have a new, there was a new parking lot, and often my motorcycle, will, the kickstand will go right through the pavement when it's hot out. And it was like an 85 to 90 degree day. So I pull up past the building, I'm late, I was, I was having a bad day anyways. Pastors do occasionally have bad days. It's usually their wife's fault, but, you know, uh, they're having bad days. I'm only teasing, I'm only teasing. Just making sure you're still awake, all right? And, um, and so, you know, I get up there and, and I, I pull in and I go, pe- I, I'm like, I don't know, 150 feet from the front doors, and I pull up on their concrete kind of curtain around the edge of the building, and I park my motorcycle, and I take my helmet off, and I start to walk into the store, and there's a, there's a clerk who's outside having a cigarette. And she says to me, you can't park there. And I said, I mean, you know, and, I, you know, I'm just, and clearly I was displeased, you know, she could see it in my face. She could see it in my body language. You know, I, I didn't say anything all that nasty, but, you know, anyway. So I eventually moved my motorcycle. Didn't you know that that clerk was the daughter of a family that was visiting our church? They don't worship here anymore. I don't think it was because of that. But, you know, I mean, we, we always just struggle with being nice. With just not being rude, you know? I, I had a football coach in college, and he used to say over and over again, you know, swearing is the sign of a weak mind. And then in practice and in danger, he would swear like a sailor. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a moron. But I never said that to him because I wanted to play, you know? And, but we, we really struggle with that. But the Scripture tells us that when we are experiencing God's love in our lives, we have the ability not to be rude. We actually have the ability to be nice to people who are being rude. <laughs> it's a little like the, the story of the, the little kid who was he's in Little League, you know, and, and they, got, they just got smucked by this other team. And, and his friend who was on the other team, who was their star player, came over and says, your team sucks, you know. And, 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 his, and he says back to his, uh, his friend, he says, well, you pitched a great game. That's the impact that love can have on us. Now, here's the word that really stuck me as, as we New Englanders. We take pride in saying it like it is, don't we? You know, we, we just, you know, I just speak my mind. You know, that's just the way it goes. I just tell it the way it is. You know, we usually use that as an umbrella for rudeness, you know. It's like, we're, you know, that's just us. We're New Englanders. We're just candid. Well, you know, really it means we're rude. You know, um, it, the Scripture would really ask us to be truthful, but also to be tactful. We, we have to do both of those things. And just because we're speaking the truth doesn't mean it's okay. We, it's not a matter of just what we say, but it's how we say it and why we say it. So it's not just that's the way we are here in New England, but it's a matter of being truthful, but also being tactful. That means that our heart is geared towards building up, not tearing down. Not satisfying what's going on, but... But again, I could go on and on. Then he goes on to say, love is not selfish. Some of your translations have the idea that love does not demand its own way. Both of those kind of fit into this. 
love, God's love, when it's shed abroad in our hearts, empowers us to defer when everybody else is demanding their own way. It allows us to extend a little courtesy when everybody else isn't. You know, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, in the New American Standard Version, it asks us to show perfect courtesy towards all people. You know, there are a lot of things in our lives that could just be a whole lot better if we just weren't so demanding and we were more courteous. I will tell you, there are so many families and homes that are being ripped apart for no other reason but the fact that there's a lack of courtesy. There isn't any fun thing fundamentally wrong. It's just a lack of courtesy. You know, one of the lessons I had to pound into my boys' heads as they were getting old enough to be out of it. You know, when, yeah, you're, you're graduated from high school. You're in college. When you're at school, you're staying out at 2 in the morning. But when you're here... It's just a matter of courtesy. It's not an issue of independence. It's a matter of courtesy to call and say, I'm going to be late for dinner. Or I'm not going to be home until after midnight. It's a matter of courtesy. And, and yet somehow or another, we, 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 we pick that all up on independence. That's a part of our independence and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the scripture just says that if, if we are people who are captivated by the love of God, we're just people who are able to defer. You know, putting the toilet seat down can go a long way in keeping family peace. Picking up your own clothes, you know, and washing your own dishes can go a long way in making peace in the home. And, 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 and somehow we may, well, you know, I, that's not my, I work all the time. You know, it's, it's, we make it about us. And the scripture says, you know what, love's not selfish. Love doesn't look at it from our perspective. We look at it from other people's perspective, with understanding, if you will. You know, it's interesting at the, the last thing we did with the Rwandan pastors and, and their wives in a retreat on Thursday night. We had a celebration time, which was just chaos on Friday morning as they were trying to get out the door. But we asked them, so what would you learn? What are you going to change? And this young pastor by the name of Silas stood up. And he said, you know, he said, I used to leave the house in the morning. I wouldn't tell my wife where I'm going. I'd be gone all day, wouldn't tell her when I was coming home, wouldn't tell her anything I'd done. She, it was her job just to be there and take care of the house and have dinner ready when I got home. She said, I'm not going to act that way anymore. And, and I, I'm praying for Silas because that's a big change. But it, somehow or another, in their culture, it just got to a place where, you know what, be, being the man meant that you just didn't tell your wife anything. You, you just, you didn't, she wasn't a partner. She was a domestic servant who was a part of your life. And let, let, love, God's love poured out within us allows us to defer to others while everybody else is being demanding. Now listen, this doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. I love the way that Rick Warren put it in, in something that I saw. He says, we need to learn how to be tender without surrendering. You know, Jesus didn't surrender to the pressure that was being put on him. But he was tender to those who were pushing on him. We need to learn how to stand our ground, but to do it with a gracious heart. Third thing it says in here, love is not provoked. Some of your, some of your translations might have the idea of love isn't irritable. 
Actually, the word underneath there is actually the word sharpened, you know, where you're sharpening up the point, you know, kind of idea. And, and, and really what this is saying, this is the ability to stay cool when the temperature's rising underneath your collar. You, you know what I mean? And uh, there are times I am so grateful my wife is with me when there are moments, you know. Uh, we had an experience, I think it was this past summer, actually. You know, we, we were rushing to, to meet one of the boys. We needed to stop by the bank and drop, drop a couple of checks off. And we pull up to the window, and the lady says, well, it's, we're in the middle of something, but we'll take, take it. And, you know, and, and, and they took the checks, and like five minutes go by. And, and nobody can, a little bit more. And I'm pressing the call button, you know, and I'm looking in the windows, and I'm ready to honk my horn. And my wife's like, just tone down just a little bit, you know. Learning how, to, learning how to stay cool when things are kind of ramping up on you, that's what God's love empowers you to do. That's what God's love empowers you to do. Last point, because we need to move along. And this is probably the most significant point in here. And this is probably the hardest thing for us to do. It says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And, and, and that's, that's a, probably a, a dead, set-on, straight translation. just doesn't keep a record. You know, you're, you're doing business and somebody wrongs you, you just don't write it down. There's no record of it whatsoever. You know, it's love empowers us to forgive and to forget the wrongs that are done to us. And what it does when it does that, it allows us to reclaim the energy that we're spending nurturing that pain and that hurt. We can now take that energy, that spiritual energy, and direct it on what God's doing in our lives in the moment and in the future. Now listen, God is not asking you to deny what's... Some of you have tremendous hurts in your lives. You've had parents who were abusive or neglectful. Others of you have been betrayed by a spouse. You've had children who have abandoned you. Some of you were abused by a teacher or by a minister or somebody else who's in your life. There's a lot of pain out there. I'm not minimizing that at all. God isn't asking you to deny it. God's not asking you to repress it. God's not asking you just to swallow it and to live with it. God's asking you to look it square in the eye. And by the power that he gives you through his love, forgive it and forget it and move on. You know, we are so often the dynamics in family life. They're not so much the things that get hysterical as things that get historical. You know, you get into a fight and it's, you know, well, I remember in 1987 you did this, and in 1991 you did this, and in 1995, you know, and it just, we just ticked through the list over and over again. There's no hope when we keep records. But God has stepped into our lives to allow us to forgive and to forget. So we can take all of that energy that we've been using to nurture the hurt and all that kind of stuff and use it to start nurturing our souls to grow in the grace and the love that he's given to us. Jesus Christ. You know, there are times, you know, and it's, there were a couple of moments here and there along the ways where, where, where I was deeply hurt by people who were around me. Not, not by family, but other folks. And even now, when I, when I turn my attention back to those things, I can still taste it in my mouth. 
you get the exact same reaction. You can feel it in your bodies. It just has this powerful grip on you. And God says, listen, my love is here to allow you to forgive it and to forget it. To move on beyond it. And many of us, our lives are being held captive by our memories right now. Relationally and spiritually and and emotionally, we just cannot move on because we have not forgiven and forgotten. How how does this all work? What what is God really asking us to do? You know, the theme of our marriage retreat was becoming a God-centered spouse. Which meant, the way I love my spouse isn't based upon how they love me, but it's based upon how God loves me. Being a God-centered spouse. What God's asking us to do is to become God-centered citizens of the world. With the way that you and I love the givers, the takers, and the molers in our lives. It's based not upon how they treat us, but it's based upon our experience of God's love in our lives. The theme verse for this whole thing is we love because God first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. How does this work? Let me just give you an an example. How many of you, when you were a kid, like me, sitting in the front seat was a big thing? I I had an older brother and two younger sisters. Sitting in the front seat was a big deal, right? Right? You, you got a 15-minute car ride across town. You'd head out to the car 10 minutes early to make sure you got the front seat. You know, you remember that? How many of you care about that stuff now? You know, in Rwanda, we have to fight to sit in the back seat. They always want us to sit in the front seat, you know, when we're traveling the cars. You know, uh, it, there's a maturity that goes on. When you and I experience God's love in our lives, we just... We just grow beyond it. We, we literally just grow beyond it. So here's the reality for many of us, myself included in way too many ways. It's like you've got an ocean of God's love that's out there, and we're just sitting on the dock with the water in up to our ankles. That's, that's all of God's love that we're experiencing. Just, we're just dabbling it at our feet. God's asking us, to jump in with both feet and take it to its fullest depth. And when we do that, we can love the people who are the takers and the molars that are in our lives. So God's inviting us today to jump in. Jump in deep into his love. And that is always, always an act of faith. Take a step of faith today. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the moments we've had in your word today. Probably all of us today, we can see how great the challenge is. We're struggling with having enough faith to believe it can actually happen in us. That we can be nice when everybody else is being rude. That we really can defer when everybody else is being demanding. That we can keep our cool. And we can forgive and forget. Those seems like huge things in our lives. God, we're grateful that your love has been poured out, lavished out, poured out on us 
that we might be called the children of God. Those who truly look, act, and are like your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we believe. Help our unbelief today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me as we sing our concluding song this morning. There's a step that you want to take spiritually. There's a place on your connection card for you to indicate that. And just a moment, our ushers are going to come and begin to receive our offering. And you can place those cards in there. Let's sing to the Lord who loves us. Amen.